0: It's 8.30 on Monday, January 14th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the 2019 legislative session's first anti-abortion bill is being filed. We'll hear from both sides on the heartbeat bill.
1: And they have a clear agenda to ban abortion, and not just in Mississippi, but across this country. And that is something that should be of concern to everyone.
2: I don't think our society or any of us Uh, wants to be a part of uh, torturing uh, children to death.
0: Then, will ACT prep and performance change during this legislative session? And an advocacy organization is urging motorists to ensure all passengers buckle up. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The 2019 legislative session is underway and one lawmaker is filing what some expect to be the first of many anti-abortion rights bills. Republican Senator Angela Hill of Picayune is sponsoring legislation that could prohibit abortion services where, where there's a detectable heartbeat. Hill says this isn't the first time she's sponsored a similar bill.
2: It's important because as a country, as a state, and as a people, How we treat our unborn children says a lot about who we are. And especially once that baby has a heartbeat, I don't see how anybody can deny that that baby is a person. And the Declaration of Independence says that we are endowed by our creator with unalienable rights, and among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, I just don't see how... The argument can be made that once that baby has a heartbeat, that it's not endowed by its creator with those same unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.
0: Abortion rights advocates say such bills are unconstitutional since many women are unaware of pregnancy until after a heartbeat is detected. Felicia Brown-Williams is the Mississippi Director of Planned Parenthood Southeast Advocates. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood more.
1: Planned Parenthood believes that no one can make a decision for um, a person who's pregnant to uh, decide what option is best for them except that person, and especially not a state legislator.
3: It appears that there may be uh, new legislation proposed about abortions. Uh, If you know anything about that, I definitely want to talk to you a little bit about it and what your opinion might be.
1: So we currently have a 15-week abortion ban that was passed by the legislature in 2018. Uh, That uh, piece of legislation, as soon as it received the governor's signature, was litigated immediately by the Jackson Women's Health Organization um, because they had a patient who it would have impacted the following day. So they moved very quickly to ensure that uh, their patient was able to receive their constitutionally protected health services. Uh, Judge Reeves, in his most recent um, decision that came down uh, just recently, explicitly said that this is clearly an unconstitutional law um, and is in conflict, direct conflict with Supreme Court precedent that establishes that states may not uh, make any um, restrictions on a person's ability to terminate a pregnancy prior to viability, which the state itself defines as much later than 15 weeks.
3: It just, it seems like it may be a wave uh, across the states in different states. There have been similar bills that have been coming um, into the legislative session. Some of them struck down. What do you think about that? I mean, what's, what's the overall picture here? Or is there an agenda about abortion rights uh, in America?
1: So this uh, newest uh, bill that's been introduced, the one that uh, came out, is a ban on abortion access that would restrict abortion to approximately six weeks. Most people don't know they're pregnant yet at six weeks. Often someone has not yet missed a period or noticed that a period might be late. So this uh, particular legislation that's been introduced is something that would in effect, be a de facto ban on abortion in the state of Mississippi. Um, this is something we've, uh, we have expected to see this year. In fact, I expect to see more than one version of this bill this year, as we have in the past. So this is not something that we uh, are surprised to see. Um, the state of Mississippi, in particular, has a long history of introducing legislation That is blatantly unconstitutional, uh, that members of the legislature know is blatantly unconstitutional, and they have a clear agenda, um, the individuals introducing this legislation, to ban abortion in uh, Mississippi, and not just in Mississippi, but uh, their hopes are to um, move this litigation up to the Supreme Court and see abortion banned across this country, um, and that is something that should be of concern to everyone
3: Felicia Brown-Williams, Mississippi State Director of Planned Parenthood Southeast Advocates. Thank you again so much for talking to us about this issue.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Tanya Britton is a board member with Pro-Life Mississippi. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood they're focused on saving lives. Well, uh, you know,
2: scientifically we refer to uh, an unborn child at that age as a fetus. And that's fine. You know, I'm not going to quibble over, um, you know, whether you want to use that term or another. It is a fetus, a living human fetus, a person really in the womb. And the question becomes then, are you so comfortable with killing another human life that it doesn't matter to you whether that child or that fetus or that person in the womb suffers tremendously. And does that fetus or that person or that child in the womb not have the same rights as you do? Just because they're smaller and more vulnerable
3: and are weak and defenseless, You've got this move of uh, women, young women particularly, that are becoming more vocal about their experiences, uh, whether or not they're going to choose to have an abortion or if they did have an abortion and why they did it. Uh, And some have questioned uh, groups, why aren't there more assistance uh, to help people who are more likely to utilize the abortion system Kind of talk about that. Do you think that there is enough happening to help women choose other options or to avoid getting in this situation? That's um, kind of a two-part
2: question. One, you have, uh, you know, a civil society or uh, our secular uh, government. And uh, then you have uh, the religious side. Uh, in our secular society, there's a lot that can be done Uh, to help uh, women who find themselves in crisis pregnancies so that they can choose life. Uh, Crisis pregnancy centers do an awesome job um, saving lives of unborn children and assisting their mothers. Uh, If we had more crisis pregnancy centers, uh, you know, then we could really, you know, make an impact. Uh, the other thing is that money uh, that is going to sustain uh, birth control and uh, abortion in our state, even though uh, Medicaid dollars are not spent directly on abortion uh, in the state of Mississippi, uh, but that money um, is being diverted from true health care. And that's what we need to do. We need to look at our primary health care centers that we have all over the state, federally qualified clinics. Can they expand their role? They already have social workers. Can they expand their role and do more to support young mothers or mothers who find themselves in a crisis pregnancy? Then I think the churches in our state have failed to teach the truth, the objective truth, about abortion from a biblical standpoint. And even if they didn't do it from a biblical standpoint, uh, certainly from an ethical standpoint from both the church and uh, from from civil society, uh, that it is just unethical uh, to uh, take the life of another human being especially someone who is so innocent and vulnerable.
3: All right. Tanya Britton with Pro-Life Mississippi. Thank you again. Okay.
0: A federal judge recently struck down a 15-week abortion ban in Mississippi. The Attorney General's office says they are working on the appeal. To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. Coming up, will ACT prep and performance change during this legislative session? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: MPB listeners pay attention to quality. They look for quality in their work and their daily lives. If your business cares about quality customers, look to MPB. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting for more information.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Complaints about Mississippi students being required to take too many tests has one lawmaker looking to change the graduation requirement. House Democrat Tom Miles of Rankin County says Mississippi doesn't allow students to graduate if they don't pass subject area tests. He tells MPB's Desiree Fraser more.
5: The federal government says they have to pass the English test, the biology test, and the science, well, the, the English, biology, and algebra. In Mississippi, we're doing the English, the biology, the algebra, and the United States History Test. Uh, The United States History Test is another test that we're looking at, maybe doing away with this year, counting toward graduation requirements, because that's something that we're putting on our students in Mississippi that's not federally mandated, but we're putting an extra requirement on them as a state. I think that's something else that you'll see us look at, too, is the federal government says we have to test in these areas, but it doesn't say that we have to hold our students hostage for graduation requirements.
2: Would it affect federal funding if you did away with a test.
5: Well, we're not talking about doing away with the test because you still have to test for federal guidelines. We're talking about not counting them toward graduation requirements because the federal law says they have to be tested in these areas, but not it doesn't have to count as graduation requirements. We also would like to see that our state go to the ACT. The flexibility in the new ESSA law gives the opportunity where we can use the ACT to be used for these things. You know, there's never been any college anywhere that has asked what you made on your state test. They ask you what you made on that ACT. And if our standards in Mississippi with our Department of Education does not line up toward the ACT and getting our students for college and career readiness, we need to change that to make sure that it does. Other states already are using the ACT for their accountability model. We can do it in Mississippi, but we choose not to do it, and that's something we're going to talk about this year.
1: Do you think parents and educators are behind
5: you on this? Parents, educators, grandparents, teachers, students, they're all behind it. We've been talking about this issue for the last year. Um, you can go back and look at any of the posts on my Facebook. You can read any of the emails that I've had from the, this is the number one issue dealing with parents, teachers, students across the state of Mississippi.
0: House Democrat Tom Miles with our Desiree Frazier. A pilot program made possible through an allocation from the Mississippi Legislature is expanding to prepare more Mississippi students for the American College Test or ACT. Jumpstart Test Prep will be offered in 15 Mississippi high schools to prepare juniors for the state administered February 2019 ACT test. Working with the Mississippi Department of Education's Office of Secondary Education, the goal of the pilot program is to help selected high schools improve ACT composite math subscore averages. Shea Walker is CEO of Jumpstart and he tells us more.
4: This is uh, developed by a 55-year educator um, who has been involved in ACT prep for 40 years. So over the course of that time she's helped thousands of students uh, do their best on the ACT and what we've created is unique in the sense our method is video based. It's, um, but it's different than Khan Academy or anything that you might be kind of thinking about. Her method is to review the the content and then, for example, in math, work example problems alongside the students so that they're following along in the workbook as we work examples and kind of getting the hang of of what we're what we just covered. And then we challenge them with a, a, in the case of math, a one minute timer so that students know at the, at the end of the module, they know how long a minute is, for one thing, and that helps them with time management on the test. So those are big components of, of what we're doing. So what
0: kind of time will a student spend on the test prep? For math,
4: our program is 20 modules in length. Each module is about 35 minutes long, and uh, they average that, that length. I think the longest is about 42. So over that the total, I mean, you're talking about 12 or 13 hours of content review, and it begins with basic pre-algebra and works through elementary algebra, intermediate algebra, geometry, and then the basic trick that you've got to know to best. And I've, I've got to tell you, you know, this this is kind of how this started. When I found Dot McClendon, I mean, she helped my daughter uh, in a very short period of time go from a 24 to a 27 on her composite score. And, you know, when I asked my daughter, what in the heck did you all cover in that short period of time that could make that kind of difference. And she had actually moved five points in math, five in science, three in English, three in reading over her her best prior scores in those sections. And the next words out of her mouth was, Dad, she started reviewing things I hadn't seen since the eighth grade. And it let me know then that the content that my senior was being tested on by the ATT was really so far down the line from when she actually learned it in school that there was no way for her to do her best on the test without a complete review. So that's that's what we offer is uh, if you're going into battle on this test, it it pays to spend a few hours uh, in prep.
0: Now tell us about the state-sponsored pilot program, and this is involving Jumpstart and math. Well, we sold this to,
4: um, I don't know, I I guess our first year out was a couple years ago, and the improvement data that we saw from those schools uh, made its way to the legislature. And uh, the, the, the teacher feedback, the student feedback, the improvement that was demonstrated across the board was something they got, they took interest in, and they appropriated some money in the last education bill to implement our complete math prep, complete ACD prep for other schools in the state, and with a specific request that we implement it in more underperforming schools, uh, schools that perform below the state average and at or below the state average. So it wound up being um, 15 schools involved in the pilot. We had probably 120 or so schools apply for the pilot, and 15 were awarded. That's about 1,700 juniors. As you know, in this state, all juniors take the ACT in February. I think the test date this year is February the 20th. So um, this program is designed to be a review of the math content for the ACT uh, prior to that test date.
0: Let me ask you about Uh, this. Uh, Tom Miles is a Democratic representative from Rankin County, and he wants to change the requirement for graduation. That would eliminate the rule that says students can't graduate if they don't pass subject area tests. These are required tests by the federal government. Do you have an opinion about that? Do you think the ACT should be the standardized test for all students? or What do you think?
4: The ACT has been around since the 50s, and its purpose is to determine college and career readiness. And it wants to assess your ability before you enter that that learning environment and and try to predict by that number your, your success. You know, are you going to be successful? And these days so much is tied to it. I mean, so many schools have an entrance requirement of of a number and uh, you need to achieve that number you're not coming in and if if you reach high enough you can get as you know scholarships or partial partial scholarships all the way up to a full free free ride and even being paid to go to college so it pays to do well on this test and all I'm saying is that our state is one of 18 that, that mandate all juniors take the ACT and that's a that's a blessing. That's a, that's a gift to all of our juniors because many states don't offer that, and that means that many of them will never have the opportunity to even attempt the ACT, which is the barrier to go to college. You've got to cross it or you're, you're not going. So it's, it's opening the door out of poverty for folks that wouldn't have the fee to pay for the ACT or the Internet to register for it or the graphing calculator needed to you know, perform their best. I mean, all, that, all that's been paid for by the state. But now it's what I'm finding when I go to schools is that how we prepare for the exam is across the board. And many schools without a real formal plan about how they do get their students ready for the ACT. And that's primarily the result of it only being mandated a couple of years ago. And just really had not been a whole lot of thought put into um, what is the best way to get them prepared. So we do hope that this program... um, is embraced by the pilot schools as well as you know other schools that are um, looking to prepare their students to do their best.
0: Shay Walker so. is the founder and CEO of Jumpstart Test Prep. Shay, thank you very much for being with us.: Great, Thank you, Karen. To learn more about the program, visit jumpstarttestprep.com. Coming up, an advocacy organization is urging motorists to ensure all passengers buckle up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
5: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Safety advocates are urging Mississippi motorists to travel safely. According to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, vehicle crashes are one of the leading causes of death for children between 1 and 13 years old. They estimate that in 2015, seatbelts saved the lives of 13,941 children ages 5 and older, while child restraint systems were responsible for saving another 266 children under age 5. Gloria Castillo is a child passenger safety expert and community engagement specialist for safety program Buckle Up for Life. She tells us more.
6: Right now, motor vehicle crashes are one of the leading causes of death among children in the United States. And that is why Buckle Up for Life here at Cincinnati Children's and Toyota, we're trying to educate parents on the importance of wearing seat belts and using car seats.
0: I mean, it seems pretty simple, a car seat. You put your child in it but apparently people are putting their child in incorrectly or the car seats going into the car incorrectly?
6: So that's right. There's a lot of misuses associated um, with car seats. Some of the misuses that we see have to do with not installing the car seat securely in the vehicle and also not placing the harness properly on top of the child when they secure that child into the car seat. So what we as parents is that once you have buckled the child and the car seat, pinch the car seat strap near the shoulder. If you can pinch a wrinkle in the fabric, you need to tighten the strap until it's snug. Then you need to grab the car seat at the bottom where it attaches to the vehicle and tuck from side to side and front to back. If the seat moves more than an inch in either direction, then you need to tighten it.
0: As children grow older, they don't necessarily need all of that restraint. What kind of caution do you recommend?
6: You know, there's different stages of child passenger safety. And um, first, the children will go rear-facing, correct, up until, you know, for as long as possible, up until they reach the limitations in height and weight placed by the car seat manufacturer. Then they will be able to go forward-facing for a while, and after they outgrown their forward-facing seat, which ends up being around five or six years of age, they need to go in that booster seat. And children should remain in that booster seat until they are four foot, nine inches tall. So they're going to be in some kind of safety restraint for a long time.
0: Can car seats expire?
6: Car seats do have an expiration day. So manufacturers have placed a label it is mandatory for them to place a label on the side or the back of the car seat that states the manufacture date and the expiration date.
0: What else do you recommend for safety?
6: We want parents to make sure that everything is safe. Even those things that are not necessarily people in the vehicle because everything that is loose in a vehicle can become a projectile. So we like to ask people to secure everything, whether suitcases or pots or gifts or anything they maybe carry on their vehicle, they need to secure it so it doesn't fly and hit someone in case there's a panic stop or something worse.
0: Gloria, where can people go to find more information?
6: For more information, go to buckleupforlife.org. We have great resources there for caregivers.
0: Gloria Del Castillo is a child passenger safety expert at Cincinnati Children's and senior specialist of community engagement for Buckle Up for Life. Gloria, thank you very much for being with us.
6: Oh, thank you so much, Ken.
0: Hear this conversation again whenever you want by subscribing to our podcast. Just search for Mississippi Edition in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.